Hello and welcome to Truth For Today with Terry Fan. And yes, I'm your host, Terry Fan. In a world full of confusion that leads to chaos, the answer for clarity is the absolute truth of God's Word. It has stood the test of time. I hope you'll listen to this message with an open heart and that God would speak to you one-on-one through it. If you're ever in the Florence, Mississippi area, then we would love for you to join us for live worship. Please feel free to reach out to me at terryfant at icloud.com. May the Lord bless you as he draws, shapes, and instructs you. Now, let's listen to today's message. Amen. He is great. How many of you know he's great tonight? Say amen. Amen. Yeah. Well, hey, let me ask you this. In the scripture, for whatever reason, the Bible tells us to clap your hands, all you people. Now, I've thought a little on that. Uh, not much, but a little on that. And I've always thought clapping your hands is a little bit of a weird thing. You know, you take your two hands and you just slam them together. I mean, I know you think that's, maybe that's normal for you, but it just seems kind of weird to me that we take two of our, our hands, you know, and it hurts a little bit, doesn't it? I mean, if you clap like I do, it hurts a little bit because I do everything wide open. And I thought about the fact that yet at the same time, the Word of God says, clap your hands, all you peoples. And so for whatever reason, all right, hang with me, whatever reason, God has determined he enjoys the hand claps of praise from his people. Now think on that for a minute. Uh, God does. This is what the word of God says. Clap your hands, all you peoples. And yet there are some people, I believe, uh, that have never clapped their hands as an offering of praise unto God. Maybe somebody in this room tonight. And I want you to think about that. Because he said, clap your hands. Which people? All you people. So who would that be in the room that he would be talking to? Every single solitary one of them. So what if tonight... Uh, before we dive into the word, we give the Lord uh, an, al- an offering of praise by clapping our hands as if we believe he rose from the dead. Why don't we do that together right now? Will you do that with me? He's a great God. Yes, he is. It feels good, doesn't it? And uh, we have reason to clap. Even though life is sometimes difficult, we have ups and downs. We don't always know the answers to the questions that we're faced with. Um, But we can rest assured he's God all by himself and he is worthy to be praised. Tonight, if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to join me uh, in the Lord's Prayer. Okay, I want you to join me in the Lord's Prayer. You know where that is in your Bible? Uh, Don't say it out loud. I love that. We're like, well, what what are we supposed to do now? (laughs) And uh, okay, well, let's start here. Now, don't do it out loud. Uh, Do it in your head, okay? If you know the first line of the Lord's Prayer, guys that were at Tuesday morning prayer breakfast, don't spoil it, all right? Uh, I want you not to say it out loud, but I want you to say it in your head. Are you saying it right now, the first line of the Lord's Prayer? Y'all saying it? If you're saying it, raise your hand. If you're saying it on the inside, all right. And so um, most probably you prayed something like this. Uh, and I don't know, I don't know, I can't answer for you, but, but chances are high that you prayed tonight, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And what you did is you quoted the model prayer not the Lord's Prayer. Now, I know, I know, listen, it's semantics, it's, wor- it's words, but it's important that you understand that just before Jesus' teaching on prayer, Matthew 6, whenever he said, pray in this manner, just before that, a few verses before, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, he said, do not pray in vain repetition, saying the same thing over and over and over again. Now, interestingly enough, we disregard that verse and we vainly repeat, Word for word, line for line, and we call it the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> so, don't do that, all right? Amen. I want to teach you something tonight. You may have learned this before. You may have heard me teach on this in years past. You may have been here Tuesday morning. 
But I want to share with you uh, that that was a not, in fact, the Lord's prayer. As a matter of fact, he said pray in this way. So when you, when you look at the model prayer, there are, I'm going to use the word components, and I'm going to use another word that means the same thing, ingredients. Do you all know what I mean? Ingredients works better for me because you all know I love food, right? So ingredients. In order to make certain dishes, you have to have certain ingredients. In other words, the finished product is a combination of ingredients that makes up the whole. If you understand that, raise your hand. Just straight up in the air if you understand that. Okay. And so the model prayer has ingredients. In other words, he says, uh, when you pray, pray in this manner. First ingredient. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What's happening there? Adoration. Hallowed be your name is praising him. So one ingredient in your prayer ought to be praising God, not just asking him for things, not just turning to him for things, not just interceding for other people, but there ought to be a certain portion of your prayer life that is just telling God how good he is. And interestingly enough, I know a lot of people who never spend any time in their prayer life just adoring God, just telling him how good he is and how magnificent he is and how wonderful and unsearchable. So, although this is not a teaching on the ingredients of prayer, that will be another sermon for another day, maybe that's one ingredient you can begin to add, okay? So, again, that's a message for another day. But the Lord's Prayer, if you were to read the first line of the Lord's Prayer, you'd say something like this, Father, the hour has come, glorify your Son, and your Son may also glorify you. Now, John chapter 17 is where I want you to turn. And a lot of times in theological circles, you hear people refer to John 17 as the high priestly prayer. Now, what does that mean? Jesus being our high priest is praying on behalf. What, did I, what, did, what was the uh, role of the high priest in the Old Testament? Uh, he would take the blood and, and other things and go to God on behalf of the people. Uh, does that make sense to you? And so this is Jesus, the, the high priest, uh, who is going to God on behalf of other people. Do you understand why somebody might call it the high priestly prayer? Okay, I'll refer to it just simply as the Lord's Prayer. And here in John 17, we are going to dive into uh, the picture of Jesus the Christ, the Son, in communion in prayer with the Father. How beautiful. I want you to ponder for a moment what it must have been like if you'd have been in earshot of hearing Jesus looking up toward heaven and talking directly one-on-one to his father. Oh, it's, it's such a sweet and personal. How many of you know that prayer time is, is part of your most intimate time? You share the things that you may not share with any other human being on planet earth you talk to God about. And aren't you thankful that he doesn't think we're too weird to love us? Because uh, we have some weird things we talk to him about. And that's okay. He knows and he loves and he cares. And so tonight, we're going to look into and peer into the intimate connection between the Father and the Son and what it is that the Father, excuse me, that the Son prayed for his disciples currently and his disciples to come. Now, most likely for the sake of time, we're only going to look at the first part of that. that are, I'm not going to ask you that all right because you all be nodding so hard you hurt yourself. All right, so we're going we're gonna to die. Gerald said I didn't have a watch on. He offered me his. He did, y'all. He did. He offered me his. And he said, he said, uh, because I can, he don't think I can look at the clock on the back of the wall. I don't know what he meant by that, but that's what he told me. And so, uh, anyhow, <laughs> anyhow, so tonight, let's look at the first portion of that, okay? And what I want to do is invite you to stand on your feet. Yes, but before you do that, let me ask this. Did, you, did everybody get an outline? And if you didn't, would you raise your hand? All right, Teresa over here in the corner needs one. And if you need one, slip your hand up real quickly. They're going to get that to you. Just a few. Uh, Kristen needs one right over there on your side, Quincy. Any, any others need, need, a, need an outline? Just slip your hand up, hold it up. No? Awesome. Thank you all for handing those out, by the way. Uh, and... Um, Aren't you glad on Wednesday night to have something you don't have to write so much? Hey, I knew I'd get an amen out of somebody in here tonight. 
All right, so now uh, that we've got those out, thank you all for helping get those passed out to those who didn't have them. Would you stand on your feet uh, in honor of reading God's word tonight? Uh, John chapter 17. We're going to begin in verse number 1, and we're going to read all the way down to verse number 19. All right, 19. And uh, as I mentioned, Gerald, you all uh, make sure that you call him Papaw and and granddad and all that kind of stuff because he's got a, a little John Avery was born. And, and so uh, make sure you read him a little bit about being granddaddy now. And uh, so here we go. We're going to dive in tonight into John chapter 17. Now, if I was to ask you for now, on, if I ran up on you and I said, John, uh, where would you go if you're going to the Lord's Prayer? What would you tell me? John 17. Right, right. And uh, so, so pl- please, and if you have opportunity, share that with a coworker. Share that with somebody that, 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 and not, listen, and be careful not to be condescending and act like you got some special bit of knowledge that makes you special and smart and all that. Uh, just clarify, hey, hey, this is why we call it the Lord's Prayer. This is what he literally prayed for us and for his disciples, okay? So here we go, John 17, beginning in verse 1. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you've given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given to me. And they have received them and have known surely that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world but for those whom you have given me for they are, say this with me, yours. They belong to you. And all mine are yours and yours are mine. Why? Because the Father and the Son are one. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, verse 10, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They uh, they are not, rather, of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And you sent me, just as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified, here it is again, by the truth. All right, let's pause for just a brief word of prayer. Would you bow your head with me for just a moment? Father, we do thank you tonight for the power of your truth. We thank you that it is so powerful. It can wash over how we think and how we feel And, Lord, it will stand the test of time. I thank you, God, that you declare about your word. You have set your word in the heavens. It's unchangeable. And no matter what culture says and ebb and flow over centuries, God, it stands the same. So tonight, would you clarify in our feeble minds and our contrary hearts uh, that your word is truth. 
and by that truth we can be set apart. Now, Lord, would you help me tonight preach this word in such a way that every person within the sound of my voice would understand and gather what you have already said and what you're saying to us tonight. And, Lord, as you help me to preach through the gift of the Spirit and the gift of preaching, Lord, would you also preach to my heart. I need to be changed tonight. God, all of us need changing in our lives tonight. And, Father, I pray if there's a soul within the sound of my voice, whether on this property or tuning in from somewhere else, that, God, you would save them this night. And we pray that in the wonderful name of Jesus and all his children said, amen, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. And as you're doing that, we're going to rewind back to the beginning. And the title simply of our message is the Lord's Prayer, all right? You see that on your outline, the Lord's Prayer. So instead of having a a main idea, what we're going to look at is what it is that Jesus prayed for his disciples at the time. Now, uh, there's going to be another portion of his prayer where he prays for the disciples of the future, okay? And uh, we won't have time to get to that tonight, I don't believe. And so let me just suffice to say that um, if you understand uh, who that group of people is, uh, say, um, say who that group of people, that is us. That's us. That is the, he says, I pray also for those who will believe, future tense, in the word of those that are, that are teaching and preaching there. And did you know that because of the preaching and teaching of those disciples who were with Jesus at that time, that sharing and multiplication and disciple making carried from one human being to another human being by the power of the Holy Spirit through the truth of his word reached all the way down to the day you were born again. Wow. All the way from these men sharing the good news of Jesus, one heart at a time, one home at a time, spread across continents and across the span of time and reached to the day I was born again and reached to the day you were born again. Now, my question for you is where did it go from you? And I want you to ponder that as we go along. Where did it go once you got a hold of it? And if it was up to you, if everybody uh, responded like you have to the gospel, how far would it have gone? How many more people would be in the kingdom? And let's ponder that as we go through this prayer. Okay, so the first part of his prayer, and we're going to look at just really just two portions of his prayer tonight. The first section we're going to call, and we looked at this a little bit Tuesday morning with our men. And by the way, if you're a man in the room and you're available on Tuesday mornings to begin serving breakfast at 545, we have a message at 610, we're done by 7, and it's a little, usually it's a prelude of tonight's message, so it'll help you get warmed up, all right? Those guys know when to say amen, so I'm counting on them to say amen, all right, when we get to those places. So Roman number one, write this in your, or you see it there in your notes, the glory of God. The first portion of his prayer, deals with the glory of God, both God the Father and God the Son, okay? And so in your notes, I want you to write this down. The glory of God, write this word, salvation by personal substitution. Now, who is the person who's going to be substituted? Jesus. Who are the people who are going to be substituted for? Me and you. The, the, all of mankind. Jesus in our place. Let me say it this way. Jesus instead of us, okay? So uh, he's going to be speaking about the hour. You say, where do you get that in these verses, verses 1 through 5? What do you get that he's talking about uh, the glory of God and tying that to salvation by personal substitution? Because Jesus identifies this first portion of his prayer by saying, uh, the hour has come. Now, you realize that when Jesus says the hour has come, he's not talking about a 60-minute time frame. 
He's talking about a portion of time that was set up before the foundation of the world that he would come into the world and for this last period of days, he would go to the cross of Calvary, pour out his precious blood for the sins of all mankind. Every sin I've ever committed, you've ever committed, never will, was poured out on him. The wrath of God was appeased and Jesus made a way through a peace offering for whosoever will call on his name to be right with God. And he said the hour for that. The, the time frame for that that was set before the foundation has come. Now, I want you to think for just a second about that. You see it in verse number one, Father, the hour has come. That's how Jesus starts the prayer. Father, the hour is the time has come. And I want you to ponder for a moment Jesus' life and the times where they tried to, to kill him. Uh, any of you familiar with your Bible and the Gospels? Uh, on numerous occasions, they would get so ticked off at Jesus that they would pick up rocks oftentimes, get ready to stone him, and anybody remember what would happen? Crazy stuff, man. It says, I always thought maybe he jumped off the cliff and flew, you know, down to the, but the scripture says he just walked right in the middle of them, you know, and he hid himself from him. He said, nope, not today, boys, and he walked on through to the other side. And, and the reason I'm bringing that to your, to your mind tonight is because Jesus said, you don't get to dictate when the time is, devil. Uh, you don't get to dictate when the time is, mankind. But, but now, Father, me and you, because we're one, and we've had this plan before, before earth and world and people began, now because we're in control here, the time that we said it was going to happen, now it's about to happen. And so notice that as he's praying. Now read a little further along, okay? So he says, Father, the hour has come. And then the next thing he says, it's a statement, it's a, it's a, it's a, but it's also an encouragement. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, Father, would you, listen to what he's saying, Father, please, would you glorify your son? Why? What's the purpose of the Father glorifying the son? Y'all help me. So that the son would glorify you or the Father, right? And so the whole purpose of the Son being glorified is that the Son would glorify the Father and the Spirit glorifies the Son. And man, what a wonderful trinity the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are. Uh, now, by the way, let me just stop right here and, and, and take an opportunity to preach on denominational lines for a second. Can I do that? Good, here I go. And what happens is oftentimes in denominations is that we elevate one person of the trinity above the others. Some elevate Jesus more, and Baptists have been very, very, very uh, guilty of that. It's Jesus only, and all they ever mention is Jesus. And so because of that, they leave the Holy Spirit out a lot of times. We'll mention God the Father a little bit, but don't deal much with the whole. Y'all don't look an awful uncomfortable in here. Uh, I'm just telling you how, how it is. You go find, I mean, you do a little research, and you'll find out. And so then, then you have other denominations, not just the Baptists, but there are some others. And then also you have, you have denominations like the Pentecostal, and the Pentecostal denomination will elevate the Spirit above everything else. And they don't speak much about the Son, they do, not much about the Father, but it's all about the Holy Spirit. And so we have to be careful not to elevate one person of the Trinity above the other persons of the Trinity. God is one in being, but three in persons. You with me? He's God, but he's three in persons. You are a human being, and you're only one person. He is a being that is God, and he is three persons. By the way, doesn't that make him special? Wow. Uh, who's like God? I'll tell you. Nobody. What, who, what's like God? Nothing. Uh, he stands apart. He is holy, holy, holy. So, and I hadn't even got, we didn't even got to the message. I got to hurry up. Uh, there's so much in this prayer. Won't you agree with me? So much in the first line uh, of doctrine and, and truth. So, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Notice the, the connection between father and son, your glory and your son. I love it. I, I can just imagine being close enough to just hear Jesus talking to his daddy. And saying, now the time has come. We said it, we, this is what we planned, and now it's time. And, and since it's time, 
um, you, you glorify me so that I can glorify you. And man, well, that's beautiful to me. I don't know if any of the rest of you are just feeling the weight of the son uh, pouring his heart out to the father, right? Uh, moving on just a little bit. And, and he says in verse number two, and as you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you've given him. And what is eternal life? Look in verse three. What is eternal life? It's when we get to heaven, right? No. No, there's a misconception about eternal life. Oftentimes people say, well, when I get to heaven and I, and I start eternal life. No, no. Eternal life by definition is knowing God, gnosko, God. What does the Greek word gnosko mean? To know someone by experience or relationally. You and him are knowing and getting to know each other because you're walking together, you're doing life together, you're listening to him, you're talking to him, you're finding yourself under his authority. Anybody tracking with me tonight? And so uh, we see this wonderful picture of what eternal life really is. I want you to know something. The moment you invited Jesus to be the Lord of your life, the moment you received Jesus as Lord of your life, you began eternal life. Isn't that wonderful? Somebody asked me, what do you think about eternal life? I said, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. And they look at me like I'm crazy uh, because most people believe eternal life begins when we die. And that's not true. More accurate, eternal life begins when we die to ourself and we're made alive in Christ. Okay, I'm trying to read on through this prayer. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. Uh, I have finished the work. Isn't it interesting that Jesus talks about the hour as if it's already done? Now, let me ask you a question, all right? little logic, little logic. No trick question, just a little logic. Has Jesus uh, been crucified and died up to this point? No. And so it's interesting, isn't it, that the son would talk about a future occurrence as if it has already happened. Now, why would the son do such a thing? Because it's as good as done. There is, listen to me. Even though at this point in John 17, it's a future tense thing. It hasn't happened yet. There is no possibility, not even 0.0000 half percent chance that the work is not going to be finished. It is not yet done, but it is done. Does that make sense to you? And so I've told you before that the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost are in the eternal now. They're in the past, they're in the present, and they are also in the future. All at the same time, we're stuck here. They are not. And so he, said, he talks about the work. Don't you love that? As it, and it's not Jesus trying to have faith enough. It's not Jesus trying to uh, just uh, speak with faith. No, uh, it's already done, and yet it's not done. Isn't that wonderful? So that's the same thing about me. I'm being saved, but I'm also saved. What? Hallelujah. I love the deep truths of God's word. Let me read a little further along, okay? So I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you've given me to do. So verse 4, we can draw a conclusion. Glorifying God happens when we finish the work he's given us to do. What is one way I can glorify God? The answer is, somebody said it, finishing the work God's called me to do. The work that he marked out for me before the foundation of time, Ephesians 2.10 when I accomplish those works, when I do what he made me to do and saved me to do, then I'm glorifying God. Isn't that wonderful? This is yes. Y'all staring at me. That is wonderful, okay, that you and I can glorify God. I have finished the work which you've given me to do, verse 5. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world ever was. Wow. Uh, Jesus, walk with me, stepped down from glory and took on the form of a man. But listen, not just any man, 
uh, not a king man, uh, not a soldier man, not a, not a captain man, but a servant man. A man who the scripture says, well, Jesus said, who did not even have his own home. You remember, he said, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the son of man doesn't even have anywhere in which to lay his head. He had no home. He was not a homeowner uh, here on this on this earth. So uh, the God of salvation, the glory of God is salvation by personal, y'all help me, substitution. Personal substitution. Who in our place? Jesus. Jesus in our place, all right? So the first part was all about the glory of God dealing with salvation by personal substitution, Jesus dying for us, all right? Now, Roman numeral two. We're going to spend a little more time here. Is that all right with y'all? Okay, here we go. Number two, read it with me if you will. The current needs of Je- what's the next part of his prayer? As he's praying, and we were let's just imagine that we're listening, and Jesus is over praying, and he's talking to the Father about the glory, and he's asking God to glorify himself and to glorify the Son, and by glorifying the Son, the Son would glorify the Father, and how they had this plan from the foundation of time, and all of this was his plan, the substitutionary death of the Son. And then he moves into praying for some specific things, and I'm going to mention six specific things that he prays for his disciples and what they're going to need to live the mission. Now, you all remember the theme that God has placed on us here at Hickory Ridge, this focus for this year. Not that they're not in the other focuses, but our main overarching focus is to live the mission. And we've, we've been talking about being called and being grounded in his word, but then, but then taking then and understanding that he saved us for a purpose. And the purpose is not just to go to heaven. If that was it, we'd be gone. But he saved us for a purpose. And let me say something to you. If you still have breath, you still have purpose. Some of us in here feel like we failed too much. You still have purpose. Some of us in here feel like we lived long enough and we're old and we can't get around like we used to and, and we feel like we've lived our purpose. You're still here, you still have purpose. And so it doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done or what's, what physical condition you're in, you still have work to accomplish or you'd be gone, okay? Y'all, y'all with me? Give me a little nod. Now, I don't know about you, but that gives me purpose to get up in the morning. Hey, I've still got purpose here and so let me go about glorifying the Father By living out the purpose for which he saved me. Okay, six things quickly. The current needs of Jesus' followers to accomplish the mission. Okay, to accomplish his mission. Now, while you're filling in those blanks, accomplish his mission. Uh, Do you believe that it makes logical sense to believe that we need the same six things that they needed? Anybody think that makes sense? Yeah. Uh, Because we have been brought into the same mission to seek and save that which was lost. Same mission they were called to, we've been called to. Now, we have different uh, roles to fulfill, but called to the same mission. So, yes, we're going to need the same six things that he goes to the Father and intercedes. He's praying what we'll call supplication. That's a fancy word that simply means supply. Okay, think about the root of it. And he's praying for the supply of the Father in his disciples so that they can carry out the mission, okay? And so here are the six things that Jesus prayed for his disciples. I'm going to read down just a little bit, okay, as we move on. So Jesus said in verse 6, I have manifested your name. Manifested means to take something that was hidden and make known. And so remember, Old Testament context, man had a, a messed up vision of God. Some of them thought he was a, light, a judge with a lightning bolt. Others thought he was no big deal. All of them were wrong. He was, he was the biggest deal. And he wasn't just a judge with a lightning bolt, but he was also uh, the God who desires to save rather than to punish. We find out in Hebrews 1.1 that in times past, God spoke to his people 
through signs and prophets. But now, according to Hebrews 1 and 1, in these last days, in those last days, he spoke finally in the person of Jesus Christ, God the Son. And so they had these ideas about God, but boy, when he came, boom, now we can look at him. And all of us come together, and we can answer every question of what God's like by looking to the life of Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? We don't have to be confused. We don't have to wonder what is God like. We can look right to the life and the times and teachings of Jesus and know exactly what God is like. So six things we're going to need for the mission, okay. Six things Jesus prayed, current needs of Jesus' followers to accomplish his mission. Number one, Jesus prayed. I'm going to skip down to verse number 11. Jesus prayed for their protection. For their protection. He's talking about in verse 6, 7, 8, some things that uh, he has done. I've kept, I've, I've, that they've known all the things that you may have given to me. I've given it to them. Verse 8, I've given them the words. So Jesus said, I've been teaching them. And he's talking to the Father about what he's done for his disciples. And he said, they believe in verse 8 that I came from you. Verse 8, he said, I pray for them. So, so now we know specifically he's praying for them. And then verse 10, uh, mine are yours and yours are mine. Now what is he praying for them? Verse 11. Now, I'm no longer in the world, but these are still in the world. Uh, now, uh, quick question, uh, was Jesus still on the earth? Yes. Well, what is he talking about? A future occurrence as if it has already happened. Because he's not going to be interacting in the world anymore. He's come to the hour where he's going to go through willingly the crucifixion that he and the Father planned before the foundation. Boy, that will blow your little mind, won't it? I love thinking about the magnitude of God. Reminds me how small I am, how small my situations are, and that when I think I'm smart and I got things figured out, it reminds me just how uh, off I can be and how small-minded I really am uh, considering God, who he is and what he's done. So going back to verse number 11, he says, now I'm no longer in the world, but these are still in the world. So they've got a mission, and they're living in a foreign land. Uh, they've got a mission. Here's what he's saying. I was in the world. The world hated me. You remember he said that earlier. Now I'm going away. I'm going back to the, to the Father. I'm going back to the throne of heaven. And, but they're not. And they have got a mission to live out. And they're going to be here. And the world is going. He's already told them the world's going to love them, right? No, the world's going to hate them. Why? They stand for truth. What is the one thing that's going to cause the world to hate them? They stand for truth. You see, the enemy wants us to believe that there is no absolute truth because then it's anything goes. And we go back to what we see in the Old Testament where men and nations were ruined because the Scripture said over and over, men did what was right in their own eyes. And without absolute truth, man does what's right in his own eyes. And we'll wreck relationships, we'll wreck marriages, we'll wreck children, we'll wreck businesses, we'll wreck all kinds of stuff by just doing what feels right and what makes sense to us. And so we see this attack on truth. So Jesus said, they're still here. So there's some certain things I'm going to pray for them because they're still here. This, this land's not going to be friendly to them. The world's not going to prop them up and say, come on, take the message all over and we'll agree with you. Uh, no, the opposite's going to be true. So he goes on and says, I come to you. I love this. Because first, back in verse 1, he calls him, he, he talks to the father and he says, father. But then when you come down into verse 11, he addresses him again and this time he calls him Holy Father. And uh, I don't know about you, but I, I've been thinking a little bit lately. You know, I, I've said to you before about not getting stuck in a routine to just address God by one term. You know, sometimes we ought to pray Daddy because some of us have a tough time seeing him as that intimate, right? We still struggle with seeing him as up there with a the lightning bolt, and, you know. And, and we have a tough time of seeing him as, as Lord and friend. 
You know, and so we ought to sometimes pray. That helps us to identify with him as daddy. Sometimes we ought to call him master because a lot of us never asked him for permission for anything. We just do what we want to do when we want to do it. We, we sprinkle church in there. We'll even go to church on Wednesday night sometimes so we feel really good about how things are going. But we never ask permission from God about anything. We just direct our own, we were driving our own, own, own vehicle. Y'all, y'all okay? All right, y'all look at me like, well, I can't believe he's saying that. Yes, you can because it's true about me and you. It is. And so we have to be careful as we're watching it, this thing unfold. He's, he's saying they're down here, and he, sometimes we need to call him Lord, and sometimes Master, and sometimes uh, Jesus. and sometimes, I mean, we just need to really just sort of broaden our understanding a little bit. And sometimes y'all, how many of you have ever, don't ask this out loud, have ever called him in your prayer, Holy Father? And let me ask you a question. Do you think if Jesus addressed him, is that it would be right for me and you to address him like that? I think it would be. So, so maybe when nobody's around, you are talking to the Father, and maybe you'd begin your prayer with, can you all say it with me? Holy Father. And what it does is it, I believe in, in, in calling God different terms, I believe what it does is helps frame up our mind and our heart for who he is. Because sometimes don't we really forget that he is Holy Father? I mean, he's holy. Holy meaning set apart in a category all his own. Holy Father. Okay, I'm just a little insight there, okay? Holy Father. And then Jesus, here's what, he, here's what he's asking of the Father. Keep through your name those whom you have given me that they may be one as we are. So what is he saying in verse 11? Keep them. God, I need you to keep them. Uh, that they may be one. I'm asking you, Lord, uh, the first part of verse uh, of verse 11 is to keep them. That word keep means to protect. It means to watch over. A little bit later he's going to say they're in the world, but I need you to protect them from the evil one. And so one of the things he's praying for is their protection. One thing you and I ought to be praying for each other is for our protection. Lord, would you protect Linda, God, would you protect Brandon? Lord, I'm, I'm lifting Ricky up to you, and I'm asking you to protect him as he's walking the journey. And so we ought to be, we ought to be praying that. But listen, it's also right to pray for protection for yourself. Uh, Lord, as I go about my day today, would you protect me? And would, you, would, would anybody agree with me that sometimes we just sort of take for granted that he's going to protect us? And we just go on out there. How many times we crank our vehicle and we, never, we don't say before we take a move, Lord, I'm about to get in this vehicle, and these crazy folk out here on the road, and I'm one of them. And, and all that's going on, and I'm telling you, it's a miracle we don't get, every one of us aren't in a wreck every single day of our lives. And so, wouldn't it be good for us to just begin to pray something like, Lord, would you protect us as we get in our vehicles? Protect me. Help me get where I'm going. Protect me from where, when I get there. Protect me from the enemy attacking me through me riding my thoughts, through the events of my day. Protect me. So, so he prayed for their protection. I'm telling you, in this journey down here, when we're not home, we're not home yet, and we're in a foreign land, and, the, and they're opposed to us. We had better be praying for, help me, protection. All right, number two, number two. So we're praying for, Jesus prayed for their protection. The second part of verse 11 is something else. Keep them. But then he says, how is he praying for protection for what specifically? In verse number 11, the second part, number two in your notes, under the current needs of Jesus' followers to accomplish the mission, Jesus prayed for their protection. But number two, Jesus prayed for their unity. He prayed for their unity. Do you know that unity is something... Jesus is going to pray three or four different ways, uh, both for his followers at the time and also for me and you. Uh, so what can we, what can we, we're, we're pretty smart people, right? All, we all got dressed ourselves today, right? And, and we have logical trains of thought. And so I would ask you tonight, um, based on that, thinking about what he's saying there, uh, going back to that particular verse, <clears throat> he says uh, uh, unity over and over and over. Uh, we're smart enough to know if he's repeating something over and over, it must be, must be very important. 
it must be very important. So let's read, okay? Verse 11. Now I come to you, Holy Father, keep them, okay, protect them, uh, and through your name, those whom you've given me, that they, here's what I'm asking you, protect them so that they will be as we are one. And a little later on, he's going to say as he's praying, he's saying he's praying that they would be unified so that the world would believe. And I'm going to come back to it in just a little bit, okay? Uh, He's going to say, I'm praying that you would keep them unified uh, so that the world would believe that you sent me, all right? And I want you to think about that for a minute, which means if the opposite is true, if we are not unified, the world is justified to say they are right to say that God didn't send the Son if we can't get along. Um, If we're unified, then it's proof that the Father sent the Son. That's what Jesus prayed. I didn't make that up. It's what Jesus prayed. So uh, how, how careful are we to be about unity? And I'm afraid, I'm afraid that we are quite haphazard in how we live our lives as far as unity. We say things to each other just however we feel. We just say it. And we'll cause disunity, hurt each other's feelings and push each other away. And we just say it. We say, well, I just tell them the truth. You know, that's what we mask it as that. No, you're being mean. That's what's happening. And uh, here's what I've heard people say. I've heard people say, and they share their mind. They say, well, my mama was like that. Well, it doesn't matter who your mama was like or what your daddy was like. Who's your heavenly father like? And it's Jesus who we're supposed to be modeling, right? And I want you to think about, listen, I need you to get this because unity is the thing with which the enemy works the hardest to tear apart. Why? Because if the world sees me and you at odds with each other, the world can say, well, the Father didn't send the Son because they're just like we are. They can't get along either. They're worried about the color of the carpet. And if there's a pile of dirt out in the front parking lot, if I had to walk around because there's dirt in the way and fussing about stuff, uh-oh. And I know you didn't say anything, and I know you didn't get frustrated about progress, and, but isn't it easy? Isn't it easy just to sort of throw caution to the wind and not be yielded to the Spirit and just say whatever comes to your mind, however you feel? And when we do that, boy, we cause all types of disunity. And so we want to be careful. Now, there's two sides to this. First of all, we ought to be careful what we say in causing disunity, but also we ought to be able, because we talked about this not too long ago, in in Jesus Christ, we ought to be able to overlook some things. Uh, If you say some things to me that hurt me, I ought to be able to overlook some things. You know why? Because I'm going to probably say some things that hurt you sometime down the road. And so I shouldn't treat you like a finished product, same way you shouldn't treat me like a finished product. Now, we can go over to the side, gently correct each other, encourage each other, point each other in the right direction, pray with each other. But you understand, we ought not let something divide us uh, just because uh, the love of Christ in us, we ought to be able to get over some stuff. Man, I'm so surprised in this journey how many of us get hung up on some of the silliest things that hurt our feelings, make us mad, and we can't get over it. I'm thinking, man, where, where is the love of Christ in that? Uh, and so, anyway, we ought to forgive quickly. Here's what he's saying. I'm praying for their unity. I'm praying. Because they're in the world. And the world hates them. And the world's against them. And so they better be for each other because the world's against them. And they ought to be for each other because God's for us, right? And if God's for us, who, should, who could be against us? So we ought to be on the same team cheering each other along uh, on the journey. So he prayed for their protection, but then he prayed for their unity. Number three, Jesus prayed for their, verse number 13. Come down with me. I'm going to read 12, but then 13. Jesus prayed for their, anybody see it in verse 13? Their joy. Their little joy. Oh, some of us, you remember that old song, got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Y'all remember that song? Some of y'all said, I've never heard that in my whole life. You need to learn that song and sing it sometimes. I remember Granny on the clampets always singing that, uh, uh, singing that song. And, and so if you hadn't seen it, y'all check that out. Uh, verse number 12, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I kept. 
None of them is lost except the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. The scripture already foretold that there was going to be one who betrayed Jesus and turned him in. We know him to be Judas Iscariot, right? Now, picking up in verse number 13. But now, I kept them while I was here, but I'm about to be crucified, resurrect, 40 days later, ascend back to the throne of heaven. And so, Father, I'm praying for them that now I come to you, in the, verse 13, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. Now, think about it. Uh, what was the joy? You remember the, the scripture talks about Jesus enduring the cross for the joy that was set before him. You remember? And so for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. Now, what was the joy uh, laid before him? That's a question I've heard debated for a lot of years. Part of it, part of it is what he's praying here, that the Father would be glorified in this hour. What's going to happen in this hour? Some beating. What's going to happen in this hour? Some spit. They're going to spit and saturate his face with saliva. What's going to happen in this hour? Somebody's going to make a crown out of thorns and mash it on our Savior's head. What else is going to happen in this hour? They're going to chain him to a rock and to a pole or to a post, and they're going to whip him with a cat of nine tails. 39 lashes. That's what's going to happen in this hour, this, this period of time. And yet the Scripture says, for the joy set before him. What's the joy? That God would be glorified. And it was through suffering that he was glorified and Jesus said, I'm praying the same thing for them because they're in the world and the world hates them and the world is going to tear apart the idea of marriage and the world is going to tear apart the idea of a masculine male who loves God and leads his family well and the world is going to tear apart the idea of a submissive wife who's a helpmate of her husband according to God's design and make her think it's less than even though there are only four helpers in the Bible, the spirit, the son, the father, and the woman and the culture is going to tear all that down for the sake of tearing apart to unity so the world will not believe that God sent the Son. There's, there's, some, there's a war going on here. And Jesus said, I'm praying for their joy. I wish some of y'all would get a hold of the joy of Jesus. I'm not going to call anybody's names tonight. Uh, because, oh, you look a little nervous out there. Uh, the joy of Jesus. Now, a quick question. Do you know anybody who you believe has the joy of Jesus. Now, what, let me define it. The joy of Jesus is not rocked by circumstance. The joy of Jesus is not always marked by laughter. I, I'm talking about the kind of joy that sometimes will have a tear. You know, sometimes will sob and cry, you know. Um, but, but the joy of Jesus, it's a sustaining glow that says, though today may be hard, sorrow may be for a night, joy comes in the morning. It's a hope centered in Christ, his death and resurrection that supersedes what's going on with the bills and the business and the family and every other thing, and it's rooted and grounded in Jesus, what he has done and what he has said. And so I'm, I'm, now my question, do you, know, do you know five people that you believe their life is dominated by the joy of Jesus? Raise your hand if you know five people right now off the top of your head dominated by the joy of Jesus, all right? Whoa. Isn't that sad? And uh, so let me, maybe let me just sort of lower it down. What about, what about th three people you say their life is dominated by the joy of Jesus? Wow, not many more. Okay, let's narrow it down to one. If you know one person whose life, okay, most every hand. Isn't that sad? Isn't that sad? That you, I, I'm assuming, okay, let me, let me just sort of build the case a little bit then. Uh, how many would say that you know uh, uh, ten professing Christians. Raise your hand if you know 10 people who say that they're born again. Raise your hand high. Oh, wow. Now, isn't, that a, isn't that weird? 
that all of us know 10 professing Christians, but not only about 80% of us know one who is filled with the joy of Jesus. And it's no wonder we're not very attractive to the world around us. Let me run that by you again. It's no wonder we're not very attractive to the world around us. Now, some of y'all are thinking to yourself, man, he's right. I've got to try harder on my joy. And if you do, you'll be less joy tomorrow than you had today. But if you will, make up your mind that you're going to remind yourself in the presence of Jesus first thing in the morning, the promises of God in his word, who he is, what he's done. You're going to square up at the foot of the cross every morning. Remember that you were lost and dead in your trespasses and Jesus poured out his precious blood and rose from the dead. He pursued you until the day you waved the white flag of your heart and said, Lord Jesus, come and be Lord. And he wiped your slate clean and it's as if before God you never committed a sin and you'll get up then and you'll go about Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday with the joy of Jesus in your heart and in your mind. But if you skip it, if you go to Facebook first, if you go to Instagram first, if you go to the newspaper first, if you go cut the news on first, what will happen is you'll be what I call one of those negative Nancys who all you can talk about is what's wrong in the world and in your family and with your health. It's, it's amazing. I mean, some people, you, you run into them and they tell you everything. They're standing upright, standing upright talking to you, standing upright, can verbalize their feelings, but all they can talk about is everything that's wrong with their health, how bad everything is, you know. And I, sometimes I, I catch myself, I had to pray, y'all, because I want to say, you kidding me? You're standing up. Look at you, on your own two feet, and you're talking. I know people who are trapped in their own bodies because of strokes can't say a word. And here you are talking. And, man, you ought to be praising God. The joy of, I'm trying to move on, y'all. I really am. I just believe it's one of the greatest reasons why more people aren't coming into the kingdom is because there are so many professing Christians who are void joy. No joy. Circumstantial happiness. No centered joy. Okay, number three, Jesus prayed for their joy. All right, I'm going to read on. He, and, by the way, he said, my joy. Woo, fulfilled in themselves. All right, verse 14, quickly, because we've run out of time, y'all. Uh, verse number 14, I want you to write this in your notes. Coming on down, actually, I'm going to come down to verse 17. I want you to write number four in your notes. Jesus prayed they would be set apart by God's truth. Let me read a little further. They would be set apart by God's truth. Verse 14, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. You've heard this before. To be in the world but not of the world, right? But that you should keep them from the evil one. There's that protection again. Uh, they are not of the world just as I'm not of the world. Now, verse 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And so the word sanctify here means to be set apart, uh, to be consecrated to, uh, to be completely dedicated to a certain somebody or a cause. That's what it means. And obviously, Jesus is talking about here to be set apart and dedicated and completely consecrated to God himself. How? How? Specifically by the truth. The truth. I wish you and I could get and understand how central the word of God is to our walk with Jesus. I wish we could make the connection. It's really not that difficult. If we could make the connection between sitting down and meeting with Jesus in his word and the transformation that happens right there. Somehow we get it twisted and we say, I've got to try harder. I've got to stop doing this. I've got to start doing that. And so we'll get out there and try hard and we'll fail and, oh, we get so beside ourselves. And then we don't want to read any of the word because it just reminds us sometimes of our failure. And it just becomes a discombobulated mess, doesn't it? When we, when we don't understand the connection is... Meet with Jesus daily in his word. 
Hang on every word. See it for the beauty and the richness of it. And let it be that which determines how you live based on the word of God. So Jesus prayed that they would be set apart by God's truth. Number five, we got to hurry. Number five, the kids back there getting restless. I can hear them from in here. Verse number 18, verse number 18. Jesus prayed they were being sent. Now notice I said Jesus prayed they were being sent. He didn't pray that they would be. He prays that they are. Does that make sense? So he's talking to the Father. He's saying, now I've done, I've sent them just like you sent me. So he didn't say, I'm praying that you would send them. That's different. He's saying, just the same way you sent me, I am sending them. Sending them, okay? Verse number 18. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Jesus said, I've given them their marching orders. And I've called them out of darkness and I've given them the gifts and the truth, and I'm going to give them the Holy Ghost after I've ascended, and they'll have everything they need, and I am sending them. And I want to tell you something. You talk about a transformative truth in my own life when I realized that I wasn't just going to lay asphalt, but that God was sending me to lay asphalt. And, and that when I was going to lay asphalt, it was a God who was sending me, and things began to change. And I can tell you of no less than three guys who were saved out on the job site, uh, while we were working together because God had to show me my hard-headed self that I wasn't just going to work, um, but that I was being sent. So, so here's my question. How many people are saved at work because you've been sharing the gospel there? In your break room, you know, in your spare time, what sort of things are you doing to promote the study of God's word? You got a couple of people you meet with? You know, get there a little early. Coworker that you spend a good bit of time with, maybe struggling, maybe not a believer. You're discipling, pouring into you know, he's being sent. Uh, not go to make eight hours, but being sent by God to build the kingdom. It's a totally different idea about work than what you and I are taught as kids and most parents teach us, you know. Um, but, that, but that we are being sent by God. Uh, I know people who have spent their whole lives retired from a job and never once shared the word of God or the good news of the gospel with anybody there. And, and here's the thing, in that moment, in that, in that life, we missed the reason that we were there. I hope you understand that he's not just, now part of it is that he wants to provide for you, yes. But that's not the sole purpose, you are where you are. Uh, you are where you are to build the kingdom, uh, to make disciples. Okay, I'm trying to move on. Uh, Jesus prayed that they were being sent. I pray as you leave out of here, you know that you're being sent. If you go eat somewhere, you're not going to eat somewhere, you're being sent somewhere to eat. Everywhere you go, you're on mission. We don't disconnect. We don't just plan Saturdays where we go do things. Man, everywhere you go, everywhere I go, we're being sent by God uh, to be the aroma of Christ and to share the good news and share our testimonies of his goodness. Now, verse number 19. I'm going to close here, okay? Number six, six things Jesus prayed for his current followers to accomplish his mission. Same thing that we need. Number six, Jesus prayed they would follow his example in dedication to the mission dedication to the mission. Here's a question as you write. How dedicated are you to the mission? Do you know what the mission is? If I was to come to you tonight, sit down and maybe hand the microphone over to you and, and I wouldn't call you up front, I'd let you talk from your chair where you're sitting and just hand the microphone over to you and say, hey, uh, would you, you know, Jonathan, could you, would you tell the group what the mission is, you know? Or Paula, if I just handed you the mic, said, here, can you tell, tell the group, tell everybody here tonight what is the mission, the mission, what is it? You know, could you do that? I just want to ask you. I'm not asking you to say it out loud. I'm just asking you, could you do that? Could you, you feel confident enough that it's settled for you and it's simple? Because listen, if you don't know the goal, you'll never hit it. 
And so what is the mission? What is it? It is to seek and save that which is lost. It is to make disciples. It's very simple. It's very simple. Making disciples. And we think about what that means and we're being sin and we're in a world that hates us. But Jesus has prayed these specific things. He's also provided these things for us. And we're considering tonight, in closing, this is what he says in verse 19. Listen closely. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself. Here's what Jesus said. I'm dedicating myself. I'm committing myself to the mission. What's coming for him in just a little while? Crucifixion. He said, I'm fully committed. I'm, I'm going all the way to the cross. And, and then he says, now read with me, verse 19. And, and why does he do it? For whose sake? Oh, so it wasn't for his sake that he committed to the mission. It was for theirs. Now, now why, why would he say, for their sakes, I am physically committing and dedicating and consecrating myself to this mission assignment you've given me? Because that's the example we should follow. He said, I'm doing it so they'll know how to do it. I'm doing it so they'll know this is what's expected. I'm going to do it all the way to the end so they know this is how it's supposed to be done. And by the way, almost everybody he's praying for, followed through all the way to their death as martyrs because they followed his example. And because they did, thousands of people came to faith in their deaths that trickled down all the way across continents to the day somebody shared the good news of Jesus with you. I'm so thankful that Jesus prayed for their dedication, that he, that he prayed they would follow his example in dedication to the mission. Listen to what he says. I'm going to finish verse 19. And for, this, for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also. Why am I doing it for their sakes? So that they also may be sanctified, dedicated, committed, consecrated by the truth. What's going to fuel my dedication and consecration? The word of God. By the way, where do I find how Jesus lived the mission? Oh, yeah. In the truth. In the truth of his word. So tonight as we consider the Lord's prayer, be mindful that first portion of his prayer dealt with the glory of God through the substitutionary death of Jesus who died for us instead of us. But then because of that, producing in us his own nature, we then go out into the world and we become what we call Christian. The word Christian is used. What does that mean? A little Christ. And the word of God says we're ambassadors of Christ. We go out to the world and we share our testimony and we share the good news that what Jesus has done and we go and live the mission, but there are some things we need. We need protection. We need unity. Come on, y'all help me. We need joy. Somebody help me. We need to be set apart how? By God's truth. We need to be understand that we are sent by God and not going places and that we are dedicated to the mission. Let's pray together. Would you bow with me for just a moment? As you steal yourself, put your stuff away for just a moment. I'm going to just call out to God and... Maybe you just say these two words with me. Well, let's say Holy Father together. Would you do that with me? Let's say it. Here we go. Holy Father, would you hear the prayers of your people the way that you heard the prayers of your son here in John chapter 17? And Father, tonight as we consider the first portion of his prayer, there may be somebody here amongst us that does not know Jesus personally and has not entered into relationship with him. So Father, tonight I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would draw them to yourself. That's what you do. You'd woo them, Lord. Right now, they would sense you tugging at their heart to turn over their life, to stop trying so hard to do right or trying to make things better or living life according to what seems right in their own lives, but that tonight they would wave the white flag of their heart and invite Jesus to come and be the captain of their ship. 
to be the Lord of their life. Father, I pray that you would do that, whether it's in this room or somebody listening out there. And God, I also pray tonight for the ones who are here who know they have been born again, that we would be reminded in the middle of the week, sometimes we're tired and sometimes we're frustrated by life and we're confused, that maybe we've gotten off of the mission. And there are lost people all around us and there are confused people all around us. There are hurting people all around us. And there are people who have wandered away from you all around us. And Lord, you want us to be your light. You want us to be your representation. So tonight, please, please square us up again. Shore up the feeble knees and the hands that hang down. Gird up the loins of our minds. Tie up all the loose ends. Grant us great faith. Help us shake off the confusion of what our eyes see and what our ears hear. And instead, give us a rock-solid faith in who you are and what you've said. Now I'm going to say the altar's open. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. And if you feel led of God to come to the altar, I just challenge you. Get up out of your seat and come down this altar and just spend some time, you and King Jesus. Just come on. Just make your way right on now. Matter of fact, there's people trying to get out. Will you all stand with me to make some room for them, please? Uh, those who feel led of God to just come and spend some time praying. With heads bowed and eyes closed, would you stand up? There are people all around the room just making their way down. Just to spend some, hey, maybe tonight's just a reconnecting and saying, oh, God, I have let circumstances get me off the mission. I've let thinking about my golden years of retirement and all that get me off the mission. I'm here for one purpose, and that is to build the kingdom, and I've gotten off of it, I've gotten off of it, God, would you help me tonight, would you help me, draw me back close, remind me whose I am and the mission that I'm on, somebody tonight needs to just cry out to him and say, God, I need my joy back, hey, if you're here tonight and you say that you are lacking in joy, and you, like David, would need to pray tonight, Lord, would you restore the joy of my salvation? Would you hold your hand up with heads bowed and eyes closed, just hold it up towards heaven? Like you're, like you're in a classroom saying to your father, I need a touch of joy tonight, God. There's about seven of us in the room, so I'm assuming everybody else in here is so full of joy uh, that you, all right, just, if you would, just right up toward heaven. It's a prayer. You're praying right there in your seat. Oh, God, would you bring back the joy? Remind me that I was lost and dead in my sin. Remind me that you came looking for me. That's overwhelming joy. Remind me that the grave couldn't hold you. If it could, the story would be over. And there ought to be fullness of joy that you've invited me to walk this journey with you and be part of this mission. Restore the joy, God. Restore. Somebody tonight, you've let circumstances and pain and loss and confusion and whatever's going on. People have hurt you and things have gone on. And the enemy's used all of that to blur your vision. And you've forgotten how good God has been to you. And may God tonight give you a touch of joy. Take that negativity out of your mouth and out of your mind and out of our hearts and remind us that our life ought to be so full of gratitude. Now, Father, I pray. I pray you would take this time right now here as we close. And, Lord, that you would do whatever you want to do right out here on a Wednesday night in the middle of nowhere. God, if there's a person who's been born again, I pray they wouldn't be ashamed of that. They'd come down and say, tonight I made Jesus Lord, whether they're in the room or listening online. Somebody here tonight needs to come and say, I'm, I'm returning home to Jesus. I've drifted in a far-off country. Then, God, I pray they would do that and not be ashamed. So, Father, I pray we leave this time changed. Help us to respond however your spirit leads. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And the people of God said amen. If you're praying at the altar, continue to pray. Don't feel like you have to get up because we're beginning to sing. If you're out there and you're praying, don't feel like you have to stop praying and start singing. Just let the spirit of God lead you as we continue together.